in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5. Now, as I've shared with you, Timothy, uh, Paul writes Timothy to Timothy, who's there kind of leading the church at Ephesus. He's going through doctrinal problems. He's going through false teaching. And the false teachers, we have said, in the false teachings, there's a variety of issues. One of the main components of it um, is, you know, some of their lifestyle is a little shaky. Um, they were, there's a certain amount of asceticism they were teaching. In other words, you, you kind of separate yourself out from everyone else. Um, and this kind of celibacy and some abstinence and some other things. And then there were some other types of false teaching. There's a variety. He, it, it, the, some of the false teaching was being done, evidently, by the way, he writes his letter from the overseers uh, and, from, um, and from the deacons. And so it's just this kind of a mixture of things, but also in, in, involved in Timothy, in First and Second Timothy and Titus, which we're looking at this year, uh, this year through May. You always encounter things that are cultural in nature. And it's really difficult sometimes for us, living in the 21st century, with all our modern conveniences and the way we live life, to know how do we take things that seem somewhat archaic and make them relevant to our world. Some people do an absolute direct correspondence. What they did back then, we have to do now. But that's it's not really how Scripture is written. For one thing, when you look at Jesus' day, they didn't do everything then the way they did it in the time of Moses. I mean, you know, they, they didn't do things exactly the same that way. And so we, we need to understand that. So part of our task is to help work through this, which is what we're going to do today. And it's a little difficult, and, and I'm going to go through most of chapter 5, what we're going to look at, to know whether Paul is referencing these situations in light of the false teachers, or if he is just making a general comment now, moving on. The ultimate understanding of it really doesn't matter which way you take, whether, his, whether this is connected with the false teachers or not. It has no impact on the meaning of these verses so in, in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, and to the younger men as brothers, to the older women as mothers, and to the younger women as sisters in all purity. Now, um, probably looking at this in the midst of the controversy, and that Timothy was going to have to do some rebuking, and that's, that's not, that's all, sounds like a harsh word, but some correcting, some teaching, some helping. That's why he says don't sharply rebuke. didn't say don't rebuke an older man. He said don't do it too harshly. The emphasis is, on this is valuing the relationships that you have in a church between all the different ages and groups, and we would say cultures. Timothy is probably a man in his mid-30s. Timothy, you're going to have to deal with some people that are older. The word for older is the word presbyteros. It's elder later on. Um, Timothy, respect them. They're, they're men who've lived a long time. There's a lot of wisdom. It, there's a lot, you know, you're going to be that age maybe one day. You need to respect them. And how you deal with them and respect them. I, I, I find myself oftentimes, you know, and I, I'm, uh, <laughs> every day there are fewer people older than me than there used to be, you know. Do you, you realize, every, from the moment you were born, every day of your life, there are fewer people older than you than there were before. You realize that. It's just the way it is. And so but sometimes I do have to deal with difficult issues. And I, I always want to treat with the absolute utmost respect. And I really try to. I try to be as understanding as I can. To the younger men, treat them as brothers. Now, I'm, I'm sort of in between young and old. Some of people think, no, you're old, but no, I'm not. I'm, still, I'm not young. I understand I'm not young. I act that way. I'm immature, whatever. But, but look at younger men as you would your brother. Now, here's the part for us. In our culture, we don't see family the same way, right? 
But, but in that culture, family was so close. You didn't, you didn't have sharp fights and, and problems within families like you see today. I was talking to someone, I remember today or yesterday, just talking about, you know, their, and I think their, their brother or something are just in the absolute outs, you know. Now, recently I was talking to someone who really has nothing to do with their, their parents anymore. That didn't happen as often back then, occasionally, but that wasn't the world. And so in that culture, they would be understand, hey, treat your mothers with respect. Love your mothers, honor them. And treat, I mean, the older women as you was your mother. Treat, you know, how, how do you treat your mother? I mean, you know, I think about, I know when I was younger, sometimes I, I could be a certain way. But as my mother, as I got older, I understood, my, you know, I held my mother up and treated her with absolute respect. Treat, treat younger women as sisters. And look, here's the concept. There can be differences within the church. But you need to be respectful of everybody there and treat them as you would your own family, assuming you have a normal family relationship, which back then they had more than now. But I think more than anything, it's just you need to have respect for people. Respect their differences. Respect what they're going through in life. And when you have false teaching, and this is especially, I have to be so careful of this, be respectful not of the teaching but of the person. Help them work through it, even if you have to be difficult with them. Now, from that, he goes on to deal in this section at length with the concept of widows. And this is also one of those things. Is he talking about them in the light of the fact that the widows were susceptible to the false teaching? Or is he just making general comments about caring for widows, which is important back then? Now, you know, I I know, I, I look at, in our culture we live in today, sometimes uh, with all the technology, I don't know how to do all the technology stuff well. I just admit it, and I don't worry about it. I call people on my staff to do that. That's their job. It's not my job. Their job is to make sure I don't ever have to worry about that ever at all. I don't care what they do. They do all sorts of fancy technology stuff. I just want to know what it costs. Don't do anything stupid with it, and make sure it works. And make sure I don't have to deal with it. Because if I have to deal with it, I don't always understand what's going on. Now, you know, a lot of times in our culture, if you, if you, all of you, I'm sure many of you have been contacted by a prince from somewhere in South America or Africa who has money to give you. And some of you have said, oh, that sounds really cool. Let me take that money, you know. If you're not as aware of certain things, you become more susceptible. And I think that's what really happens in this situation. The widows were trusting they depended on people to help them. And the false teachers could work their way into it. Listen, you want to you wanna get what you want in the church, you get to the older women of the church. There are times that I will acquiesce to something because I don't want to deal with them. I'll deal with the younger women, the younger guys. I'll deal with the old guys all day long. I don't want to deal with angry older women. I'm looking at some of you, I tell you. <laughs> so what I'm saying is that that could be a difficult thing. So he talks about how do you treat, how do you deal with widows? The other thing you have to keep in mind is widows were susceptible to the culture and, and to the difficulties. Now, we live in a completely different day and age. I mean, elderly people, even, if, even when things are tough, there are places for them. And I, I've known some people who were older who were destitute, but there was always a place for them to live. You can see a lot of homeless people, and I get it, and we see it. And I was talking to someone today. Most of the people that are homeless have made that decision. There's, there's reasons they're there that way. Most of them have opportunities to have 
relief. But in the world of the elderly especially, most of the time we, in our culture, we find a place for them to be. Our government does that. And that's fine. Listen, I pay money in taxes. You want know, one of the most the biggest priorities for me as a taxpayer? Make sure the elderly have a place to live. I want, I want the government, if they need to, to take care of them. But it's also my job as a follower of Christ. And from the principle of this, which is really important, is the responsibility of the church to connect and touch base with and work with those, especially when they get older, who are in difficult situations, like the, uh, the widows. And so he talks about this. And he actually almost, it sounds like there's two groups of, uh, of women. So in this passage, it could be he's talking about a group that need financial help and a group that serve. Or is he talking overall about just helping them financially in ministry? And, and it really doesn't matter. It means the same thing. Let me get with it and I'll show you. I'm just going to read through. Honor widows who are actually widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to show proper respect for their own family and give back compensation to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is actually a widow and has been left alone has set her help on God, and she continues in requests and prayers night and day. But she who indulges herself in luxury is dead, even while she lives. Give these instructions as well, so that they may be above reproach, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith, and worse, he is worse than unbelievers. So Paul is saying is this. There are widows who he calls, widows indeed are actually widows. And what he means, what he means by this is, is uh, you know, a widow is someone whose, whose husband has passed. But there are some people who live their wife not as a widow. They're younger, or they may get remarried, or they may, you know, in whatever capacity, He's talking about a particular group of widows, not just all widows, but a particular group. So he says they are actually widows. In other words, they meet the qualifications of what we're talking about. And he says, most important thing of all is that when widows have family, their family needs to take care of them. That's true today, too, by the way. They absolutely need, absolutely need to take care of them to this day. And so he says, make sure that the believers who have mothers and grandmothers who are on their own, who are widows, are taken care of. It is their primary responsibility. And it is showing proper respect. It is something that ought to be done. Later on, he says, if you fail to do that, you are worse than an unbeliever. Why? Because even the unbelievers, even the pagans, took care of their own. So make sure they're provided for. But as a church, he also went on to say that if there isn't someone then you need to assist and help them and minister to them so they're taken care of. Now, he talks about those who indulge in luxury and they're dead even when they live. It's quite possible in a pagan culture that some of the people who came out of paganism may find themselves as widows going back into the pagan world, the husband died, and so they're going to go back into that world and they're going to live in that way, or they pursue, they pursue other ways of getting money, or they're, or they're, or they're you know, maybe you know, in some ways trying to game the system, I guess you could say. He says, he's just saying, be careful. Be careful, and don't just help people for the sake of helping them. Make sure there is a need for them financially to help them. And then do that. Now, in our culture, let me just say it, kind of how this is. Um, you know, my mother-in-law has been a widow for, oh gosh, I guess almost 20 years. I asked her the other day how long it's been. And, um, you know, she's, when, when, when my stepfather died, she had his retirement, she had his life insurance, 
his retirement, her retirement, house is paid for, and she does okay. You know, I mean, she's, she's been provided for. That's fairly common in our culture. You know, my brother-in-law, because he's single, lives with her and kind of watches out. But she's, she's good. She's, she's taken care of, you know. You know uh, and so all of that's covered. Now, you know, her three children, now, of course, obviously, without Debbie, two children, but I still I also check in on her, have responsibility to make sure everything's okay in her life. I did with my mother also until she died. Um, you know, there's that responsibility we have of our family. That should be common of all people, but especially as believers. Our culture is different. Most of the time, the vast majority of the time, people who find themselves in these conditions are basically taken care of, but the church still has responsibility to look after their needs. He goes on to talk about this even more when he talks about putting them on a list. Now, now I have a lot of people who are on a list that I have, but it's not quite the same list that Paul talks about. It could be a list of widows who serve, some think that way, or it could be a list of widows who are ministered to, or both. I really don't think it matters, but just listen to what Paul says. A widow is to be put on a list and there's three conditions. She has to be 60 years old, the wife of one man, and a reputation of good works. Now, let's just assume the list is to serve. She needs to be older, and I'm younger. He's going to explain why in a minute. She needs to be the husband, I mean, the wife of one man. Now, that doesn't mean that she can't have been married and then remarried and become a widow again. Just like when we looked at the qualifications for a pastor, an elder, a one-woman man, husband of one wife, one woman man, she was a, uh, a one man woman. In other words, she was faithful to her spouse. Normally, normally, there would have been, the widow would have only been married one time. It's possible to have been widowed again. But the concept simply is this she was faithful. And then also, she needs to have a, a good reputation. And then he kind of defines that good reputation. She's brought up her children. Now, that doesn't mean she had to have had children, but if she had children, she brought them up. You might read it this way. She did a good job raising her kids. She's shown hospitality to strangers. In that day and age, especially within the church, to be hospitable, to invite people into your homes, to have them stay. Now, we don't do that anymore. I, I understand. And, and, and if, if, if someone comes by and I need to put them up, and to be hospitable, I will. I'll put them in a hotel. I ain't staying at my house. But I'll get it covered one way or the other. Now, don't send people from your family my way, okay? That's not what I'm saying. Because if you don't love your family, I don't either. Probably for the same reason, okay? She's washed the saints, uh, the, the feet of the saints. That probably was like when, when Christian, especially ministers, came by, uh, they, they would do that. She has assisted those in distress. She has devoted herself to every good work. In other words, she's lived a life consistent with her faith, but refuse to register the younger widows. For when they feel uh, physical desires emanating them from Christ, they want to get married, incurring condemnation because they've ignored the previous pledge. In other words, the widow would make a commitment to be on this list and then would probably make a commitment to live a life removed from marriage so they would take care of them and help them, and then they in turn would serve other people. So the problem with a younger woman is that they're probably going to want to get remarried, which is natural. Paul's not condemning that. Paul's just giving out some good advice on this. The condemnation would be that they would break their pledge to be on this list and what all it goes. So 
he says, <laughs> then he describes younger women. Now, this is why they think, and I tend to agree that some of these younger member, women may have been led astray uh, by some of the false teachers. This is not a blanket description of all younger women. Because here it goes. They have learned to be idle. They go around from house to house, not merely idle, but to become gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. I don't find that really to be normal of younger women. I find it to be normal of older women, but that's another point altogether. I'm just kidding. That's just a joke. Therefore, he says, I want younger women to get married, have children, manage your households, give the enemy no opportunity to reproach. Notice, this is why I think the younger women and others, others think they were susceptible to false teachers because they have already turned away to follow Satan. Any woman who is a believer has dependent widows. She must assist them and the church must not be burdened and they assist those who are actually widows. So he's, what he's basically saying is some of the younger women have been led astray. You need to be careful. They need to, you need to lead them back. But primarily he's saying that this ministry, this service that we're providing is for the older widows. Now this principle, all this... Without, and I'm not going into a ton of detail because these cultural things are kind of hard to go into the detail uh, you know, without you know, really having to pursue every aspect of it. But I think in principle, here's what's being said. Minister to widows. And widows need to minister to other people. And you need to show respect for all. Take care of the needs of people in your church. Now, I, was, I think about a lot of our elderly people um, who are in difficult situations. And, and we were talking uh, Tuesday, Mike, we were in staffing, I talked to Mike, uh, all the staff, and, but Mike oversees that. You know, just wanted to be sure that, you know, we don't have a lot, but, but, but men and women who, are in, who don't have family or maybe who are, who are in a, a, some type of facility, are they being visited, are we taking care of them, uh, if things okay? You know, and, and by the way, any of you that ever want, and we encourage our deacons to do this, since it's really part of your responsibility, to go visit people in these conditions. Just get a hold of Mike, get a hold of the office, we'll help you do that. And a lot of times they just need, to, as Mike says, they like to talk a lot, and that's true, we all do, but they need companionship, they need people to check on them, and sometimes we need, we need to be sure we do that. My fear, and I, I, this, is, this is an indictment of me, is that we let them slip through the cracks. Oh, they're at the so-and-so facility they're taken care of. They got a bed, they got meals, they got stuff. They don't have anyone to come and visit and talk to them. I assume their family does that. I can't make those assumptions. And so one of the things we talked about is making sure that we're taking care of people at home. It's the same way. And a lot of them have families, and I get that. And so this is an important part of what we do as a church. It is easy for a church like ours and I'm the most guilty culprit of all, completely, to get so caught up in reaching lost people in the unchurched that we forget some of our own people have needs. And that need sometimes is nothing more than companionship and to talk to someone. If you'd like to help with that, be sure and contact Mike. Now contact me, because I'm going to send you to Mike. He's right back there. Just go get him. But you know, that, and here's the thing, just a few hours a month, if you just took one person and built a relationship, we don't have that many, and built a relationship with them, it would be richly rewarding. And it is what we are called as a church to do. Well, having dealt with that, 
he now goes on, you know, I'm going to spend these last 10 minutes getting through this last, this, uh, I won't finish chapter 5, I'll get through a lot of it. <clears throat> My goal is this week and two more to finish the book of 1 Timothy. He now talks about elders. And the elders, it's, it's the same word as the older men, presbyteros. As Baptists, we really don't have elders. We do, we just don't call them that. Uh, technically, from a, biblically, from the New Testament, I am an elder as the, as the pastor. Most of the church plants today in Southern Baptist life have elders. In fact, all of our church plants, to my knowledge, that we partner with have elders. Uh, that's the, in fact, uh, most of them, that's the first thing they do. They, they actually, they don't get deacons. I, some of them don't even have deacons. I've had several say to me, when do I get deacons? I say, never. You give, you don't worry about it. When the time comes, you'll know. Get, get growing first. And uh, you don't have to have that right off the bat. Uh, but elders is how they set up, and that's fine. And, and there are two types of elders in the New Testament. There are the teaching, preaching elders, that is me. And then there's elders who help deal with serving in other tasks. And you see that. And that tends to be kind of that picture. And I find it interesting that in Southern Baptist life, in all, up until a few recently, we avoided elders. Because that's what the other churches did. And the churches that practiced infant baptism. You realize a lot of the things we do is so that we're not like the churches that practice infant baptism? That is just silly. But we're Southern Baptists. We're silly. Now, there's more of us than anything but Roman Catholics, so we know how silly we are. At least we're preaching with the Gospels. Let me say that. Elders who lead well. I love this part. This is my favorite part of all Timothy. Are considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now, the word honor is when we get the term honorarium. Um, what he's saying basically is this. The ones who are involved in teaching and preaching compensate. I mean, he gives an illustration after that from Deuteronomy 5, 25, 4. Don't muzzle ox while they're threshing. What he's saying is this. Look, and Paul never took compensation. He said the idea of double honor is two things. One, respect. And two, you should take care of their needs. If they are devoting their life to taking care of your spiritual needs and helping the church grow, then you need to help them to pay them. Well, we said they pay them. Now, I realize there's over half of pastors in the Southern Baptist world are bivocational. It means they have secular jobs and work at churches because many churches can't afford it. But they can at least afford something to help them out. Um, you know, and, and, and so this is kind of the concept. Now, I'm going to say this off the bat. I have been blessed by this church beyond imagination. Uh, I've never dreamed that you would <laughs> compensate me the way that you do. Now, don't stop, but I'm just telling you, I've never <laughs> dreamed that. <laughs> Mostly, my, when it comes to churches paying me, they were nightmares. Uh, and I have been in churches where their motto was, Lord, you keep them humble and we'll keep them poor. Uh, so, let me just say that he gives a reason for that, which I think is really valid. He says they work hard at preaching. Now, that's the caveat. Are they working hard at being an elder? Being a pastor, minister, whatever, should be hard work. And it is work. Oh, it's, I've heard God say it's not work, it's a labor of love. Well, the word labor is work. It's not work, it's a joy. Sometimes. Not always. You, you want me. The idea of work is the idea of toiling, of striving. You want me to spend time in the study, striving through the Greek, striving through the theology, 
looking at the culture and working and sweating through how do I take the culture that is in opposition to Christ and bring the, take the revelation of God and bring it to you and help you deal with that culture. You want me to work and strive and sweat through that. I tell guys all the time in ministry, master your craft. Master your craft. And your craft, if you're a pastor, is to take the word of God and bring it to people. You want me to get those degrees and to work hard and to master my craft. And I am obligated to God and to you to do that. Never call a staff member. And when my day is done here, which hopefully is not anytime soon, never call a pastor who is not willing to master his craft. Never call someone who will not sweat and toil his way in ministry. Don't let them fool you. Don't let them buy these sob stories. You know, oh, that's not what we're called. Oh, yeah. That's what we're called to do. Quickly. The laborer is worthy of his wages, he says. He's actually maybe quoting Jesus from Luke 10, I think. Do not accept, and this is important, because in a church with false teachers, and, contra- and remember, one of the things false teachers often do is accuse the pastor. Pastor's not preaching the Bible. Pastor's not doing this or that. He's not visiting. He's, he's not blah, 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 blah. Notice what he says. Do not accept an accusation against an elder, except on the basis of at least two or three witnesses. In other words, you need several witnesses to corroborate before you begin the process. If they're found guilty, if it's true, if they continue to sin, then to the elder, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest will be fearful of sinning. Notice he says this, listen. If the elder is doing something, if I'm doing something that is wrong, I don't mean that I'm not really doing a good job preaching or, you know, you don't like the fact that I don't wear a tie, which was an issue when I first got here, which was, you know, really dumb. But that's okay. I remember someone saying, when I was interviewed, someone said, you own any ties? And I said, yeah, I own lots of them, but you're never going to see any of them. <laughs> Except when you, you know, funeral, when you die, but you'll be, you know, you won't be, you know, you'll be aware of it. But if there's a moral, if there's a thought, if there's some real issue, you need to make sure that it's valid before you start accusing me or anyone. And then if there's validity to it, investigate. And if there's reason to do it, then I would need to repent. If I refuse to repent, then you would be obligated to rebuke me in some capacity, which may be in terms of removing me from my position as your pastor. That would be my responsibility to live to that, to own that. The reason for all this is, is, is so that there is unity in the church and it should grow in reaching people. He says, I solemnly exhort you in the presence of God in Christ and his chosen angels, you know, all God, Jesus, and the, and the angels who didn't fall. Maintain these principles without bias. Do nothing in the spirit, he says, of partiality. Do not lay hands on anyone too quickly. In other words, don't set someone aside for ministry too quickly and then share responsibility of the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. In other words, don't, don't be hasty in setting aside people for service because you may find out they're not really spiritually prepared for service and then you've got a bigger problem on your hands when they sin. That was the problem with the false teachers. They put people in positions of leadership. They weren't ready. 
And then he gave a charge to Timothy that he never gave to any Baptist pastor. Do not go on drinking only water. Use a little grape juice for the state of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Yeah, that was not in the original Greek text. That was added years later by the Catholics. So it's possible what he's saying is in light of the asceticism that was there, Paul saying, Timothy, don't fall trapped to that. He's acknowledging, you, you have stomach problems. Drink a little wine. I don't know what wine does for stomach. I, my, I don't, whenever I have stomach issues, I don't drink wine at all. But, you know, so obviously I don't think this is a command that you have to do. I think this is a cultural thing. But obviously if, if you want to drink a little wine to help your stomach, that's fine if your name is Timothy. <laughs> and I'll see you Sunday.